Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. And streaming around the world. Around the world. You're now tuned in to the Sales Samurai Podcast, the only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's your host, Sam Capra. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Samurai. Thanks for joining. Before we begin, take a minute to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing why recruiters have to be sales professionals. And I have an amazing guest for you guys, originally out of Canada, but now he's in Costa Rica living the dream. Mike Thompson, partner at Spark Recruiting. Mike, absolutely a pleasure to have you, brother. Sam, thanks for having me, man. I mean, the weather's 30 degrees and there's no place I'd rather be than inside behind these terrible curtains talking to you. So thank you. Yeah, it's a good life. I mean, we were talking about it offline. You guys just just decided, hey, it's too dang cold up here. Let's just go enjoy the beach and get to work. Yeah, I mean, with lockdowns and everything in, in Canada happening, my business partner and I decided let's let's just get an Airbnb in Costa Rica for the month so we can work and work and uh, quitting time is, is beers on the beach, which is not bad. That is awesome. You, hey, you work hard, you, you got to play hard. 100%. Totally agree with that. That's awesome, man. Hey, so for the audience, I know, I know you and I have connected a number of times through mutual connections and through LinkedIn. Kind of give the audience a little bit of a background if you don't mind, Mike. Absolutely. So my background is exclusively in recruiting. So I started, I've been in the industry for about 13 years, starting in tech recruiting and working my way through. I was doing that for about six years before running a office myself in downtown Toronto and recently finally made the jump to you know, my own agency. You know, Why not? We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are making crazy moves. So I just, I felt left out. So I wanted to, wanted to jump on that wagon myself. So here we are and, and Spark is, is brand new. We're about two months in and we really wanted to do things a little bit differently. And and I say we operate at the intersection of marketing and recruiting. In today's market, it's obviously very candidate-driven, and organizations need to do a better job at selling to candidates. Similarly to the way that we sell to customers and attract new customers, uh, we take that approach and apply that to the attraction of candidates. So it's it's a very sales marketing-centric approach, and it's it's super exciting, and it's a lot of fun. Man, that was why I was so excited to have you. And then we had the conversation, your guys' approach to recruiting, and it really shouldn't be. And I think you would be the very first, but it's kind of revolutionary from the standpoint of how you guys approach it, right? And I know you share a lot, and we're going to talk about it in a number of different ways today. But that's what really intrigued me. And looking back through the LinkedIn, you know, that's how everybody figures out who everybody is. You have a strong background in sales. Like that is your back, like, that is kind of where you lived and breathed. You were in the trenches for a number of years. So that's something near and dear to your heart, fair? Absolutely. I always find that I really learned a lot about selling and recruiting is you can sell software, widgets, whatever it may be. But when you're selling something as unpredictable as people, it's wild. I've had every excuse you can think of as to why deals go south that you don't run into with SaaS. You don't run into the fact that you know, things happen and people have to go to another country all of a sudden on a whim or, you know, people just decide at last minute that they don't feel like fulfilling the deal. There's so many different things that happen that you can't even plan for. So it was an amazing foundation for me to kind of 
sink my teeth into sales. And I'm constantly learning just because there's so many things that are being thrown at me that I have to adapt, which is also what is exciting about selling. That's awesome, man. And the fact of the matter is you've never left sales because to your point and to the subject of our conversation, in today's new landscape, you've got to be a salesperson as a recruiter, as an HR professional, wherever you want to put it as. And that's kind of what the hinge of our conversation is going to be about today, right? Absolutely. I mean, when we look at, and I'll talk about the sales yeah. labor market today, but you have in North America, you have 1.5 million active jobs out there. So if you're a sales leader that's looking at hiring, and I, I was just on LinkedIn before this and saw a post of somebody looking to hire 40 account executives this year, right? Like, how are you differentiating yourself from the 1.5 million other competitors that are also trying to hire sales talent? You have to sell, right? Which it's fascinating dealing with sales leader because it's a foreign concept for them, but it's their world. Like, you obviously are very careful and calculated about the clients you go after, the language you use, the collateral you use, how you go about your process. And then when you want to hire salespeople, you put a post on LinkedIn and hope that works. Like if we were to take that approach and do it to yourselves, you wouldn't have any sales. You wouldn't even have a job. Right. So it's, it's fun talking to salespeople when they wrap their head around and it's like, hold on, walk me through your sales process. And they get excited. The decks come out, you know, the posture gets up and they tell me everything about their ideal customers their process, the language they're going to use, right. where they're going to get them. And it's like, okay, so how are we going to grow your team? It's like, well, we got this job posting that you know we're hoping <laughs> works out. And I just wait for the light bulb. Then I just sit there in the silence and just wait, see if they can connect the dots themselves. I wonder why there is, because you're right. I mean, it is so joy, like it is pretty evident. Like it, and I find myself missing it. So I, I'm not saying, hey, I'm, I'm so revolutionary that I do it differently. I do it exactly as you say. But why is there such a disconnect in, in your mind? Like, why is that connection? Why do we miss it in your experience? Yeah, organizations have never been as vulnerable as they are now. Usually, when they had a job, that was a differentiator. There was an open seat. And there was, when there's an open seat, people line up to get in there because there's not many seats. Right now, everybody's hiring. So we haven't changed our mindset to think, just because I have an open job, that's not special anymore. Everybody's hiring. So what else you got? And, and that's where we're at. And some organizations are pivoting quicker than others and realizing that they have to be more proactive and sell to potential candidates. And others don't. I'm dealing with a candidate right now that has six offers in hand, one of which is mine that I'm doing my best to sell. He has six, six right. offers. Could you imagine that? And that's just the norm. If you are talking to a candidate, a sales professional, and you're extending them to an offer, they have multiples. It's inevitable right now. So, And that's only when you get to offer stage. We're already talking about all the hoops that you've had people jump through to get there. Right. Without a doubt. That's what kind of sparks my interest in this is just understanding as the landscape has changed. You're right. We Hey, we build it. They'll come, right? Throw up a job ad, 200 applications, and we'll find the right one. But there's another layer to this as well, Mike. And I know we face this, you know, at our organization. There's also a lot of startups. I've seen the SaaS space that are growing and they're scaling. And it's not enough just to throw money. Hey, I'll just throw more money at that person because it's an ever-ending, well, I'll just throw more money and more money and more money become, before it becomes untenable, right? That can't be the differentiator. Is that fair to say? It's fair. It's, it's a, you're solving for the symptom and not addressing the root problem, right? Like I think 
you're never going to be able to spend more than the tech firms, the Amazons and Netflix. I mean, it's a perfect sports analogy, right? Like if you're in baseball, you're never going to be able to sign someone like the Yankees or the Red Sox can never, you're just, you're always going to lose that battle. So, and if you try, you're going to run out of money. So you need to be creative in terms of how you're building your team. And not only from an attraction standpoint, but that helps with retention as well. If you're only valuing people that are chasing a paycheck, they're going to leave you for more money because somebody's going to pay them more sometimes. So you need to make sure that the people you're attracting, you're offering more than just compensation. There's, you know, growth opportunities. There's a really good emotional connection with the leadership. Like that's a really big thing for me is people want to be inspired by who they're working for more than the company they're joining. If in sales, if you look at your sales leader and you aspire to learn and be like them, you're more likely to have them retained for a longer period of time than someone you're just chucking money at and get them in the door. And you know what? Six months in, they hit a bit of a, a cold pipeline. They bounce and go somewhere else. So it's you're right. It's money. You can't just throw money at people. You really have to invest in the leaders and place them at the core of your, your hiring campaign, because they're going to attract the people that want to follow them and work for them. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit through how do we begin the approach of tackling recruiting like sales? Like, Cause there are so many similarities and we're going to walk through it, but just from a landscape standpoint, I know you said the 1.5 million jobs, is there any other kind of nuances that is making it or compounding it any further from a sales perspective? that we've never seen before it's from a sales landscape. Is there anything else that you're seeing in the marketplace? The, the full remote nature of work these days has knocked down borders and boundaries, right? I mean, the U.S. was always fairly good at moving state to state for jobs. But what's happening now is you're seeing North America being a labor market where there is no separation between kind of Canada and U.S., and I'm seeing that a lot where you can work from anywhere because the nature of sales is virtual. There is more and more opportunity for someone in Toronto to sell to the West Coast of the US. And so the, the landscape has changed, which is a good thing for some companies and not so good thing for others. So depending on how you're situated and set up, it, it could be a, a positive, but it could be a negative for you as well. So that's definitely impacting the competitive nature of the labor market as well. That's a great call out for the simple fact that I remember, you know, not too long ago where, hey, we really want someone in Orlando because we're based in Orlando. We want them to be a polar. But those things are now out the window, right? Those are, hey, we want a candidate. We just want the best candidate, whether they're in LA or they're in Milwaukee. We don't really care because they're going to be virtual anyway. And so that's opened up our candidate pool. To your point, that's a positive, but a negative is that's opened up the candidate pool for everyone that's approaching it the same way. And it's opened up the employee pool for the candidates. I'm not confined now to looking for sales positions just in Orlando. I can sell in Canada. I can sell in LA. I can sell anywhere. So the reach for the candidates to their choice of employers has opened up drastically too. So it's, it's a twofold problem. It's like, yeah, you have access to more candidates. But now your competitive landscape for other competitors for that talent has also increased as well. That's a good call. Do you see, and I don't want to say end inside because obviously there'll always be these, you know, hiring, but obviously this is a little bit more, this is a little bit more abrupt or this is a little bit larger than norm. Is there an end in sight where things will start to plateau and things will start to kind of take a more of a, a normal shape, if you will, if there is a new normal? 
I'm just curious what you're seeing from that standpoint. I think no. I think this is, if anything, it's going to get worse. It's going to get more competitive. And I think the labor market was always moving in this direction. What the pandemic did is just expedite how quickly we got there. So I think being able to work remotely was always the future. We just weren't expecting it to happen in a span of months. You know, we thought we had years and it was going to be a slow burn and some companies would be more innovative in that way and some would still be holding on to the nine to five in an office. And then the next day, it's like everybody's remote now. So it just expedited that. And we're, we're seeing the, the great resignation happen and, and things that. But I think it's just the beginning. I think it's going to continue to get more and more competitive to find talent and retain it as well. Like it's, yeah. it's going to continue to be a problem. That's great feedback. Because I mean, I think that's the other side of the coin is people are like, hey, how long can this? I mean, like you think of a housing bubble. Hey, that, it's burst. We'll, we'll, we'll wade through it. We'll, we'll just kind of stay the course. But with that feedback, understanding that this is the new course, you've got to adjust. Like there is just no waiting it out and hoping for the best. So I think that's great feedback for the audience. So let's approach it. Let's tackle how do we do this? And we were talking about, hey, listen, just hiring a normal salesperson. You know, you know, if we were to go out, hey, I'm looking for a candidate. How do we put our best foot forward? And, we have, and you have some really strategic approach and we kind of correlate it back to sales. But walk me through, we call it ICP and sales, yeah. but you have a different connotation of it. Yeah, so the, the ideal client is something you build in, in sales and in recruiting. It could be called the different things. I refer to it as my competency blueprint. So okay. you know what we're going to do, and we'll, we'll go through an example now. You're hiring a sales individual. Let's build out a competency blueprint. And let's talk about the first question I always like to ask is, when you're hiring a salesperson, what does success look like for the successful individual in year one? What would success look like? And, and it could be various things. You know, If you're a startup, maybe it's, we opened three new accounts and started generating some revenue. If it's you're in a more mature environment, maybe it's we were going deeper in some of these accounts and we were generating X more through those accounts. So whatever success looks like in that first year, you've got a baseline to start now thinking about the skills that will get that success in the first year. You know, if you need to open accounts, you need somebody that has experience opening accounts. And then if that's not available, you go one step lower and thinking like, okay, well, what are the competencies that are going to, that someone could bring that's going to help them open accounts? You know, and you go through the checklist of all of those soft skills and things. Now we build out more of a competency around those. So the first step, competency blueprint. What does success look like in the first year for the successful individual? What are the skills that are going to match or make it the most probable you're going to get that success in the first year. So the, the candidate blueprint, ICP, if you will, from a sales perspective, but it's a little bit more than is it in help because as you were kind of walking through that, I immediately what jumps to my mind as uh, not very savvy is my requirements. Hey, this is what I require. But that's a slippery slope too, right? Because help us understand, like, is that really what that is? Or should you really just be questioning what your requirements are to begin with and using the candidate profile as your guide, as your Northern star, if you will. Yeah. I think we need to throw requirements and like that list, that exhaustive list of the person we want out the window because you're now competing. So yeah, you can list me 15 things and I'd say, that's great. But now you're going to have to throw all those out and we're going to have to start from scratch. And the always way that, that I like to brainstorm and get people out of that mindset is picture you're at a bar with your friend, right? What are you looking for? 
sell me, like, I'm your friend that you want me to come work for you. What's the job? What are you looking at doing? That's your job description. That's your elevator pitch. That's how you're going to shape what that job description looks like. We're not going to start listing. I want them to have experience selling in the healthcare vertical. I want them to have opened five accounts. I want them generated this amount. I want this, this, and this. You can't go through that approach anymore. You need to really simplify it or else people, people aren't just going to apply to it. You need to kind of start thinking about how you sell the role and how you can really simplify what that job actually is. Get rid of the job description, casual conversation, sell me on the role. What are we doing here? I love that because we were talking about this offline. From a job description, I remember my days back at Career Builder, you know, job ads, it was just, hey, what are the requirements? Uh, what are the skill sets that they need? They need to be able to stand on their feet for more than six hours or whatever it might have been. But tying it back to sales, it's really, what is the elevator pitch? Hey, what, how do I clearly, concisely articulate this to you as a candidate in a way you're going to understand and hopefully differentiate myself from the competitors that you're going to be talking to which I know you're going to be talking to just in the landscape of today. Yeah, exactly. And if you can't come up with an elevator pitch for the job, then that's a problem, right? If you're a sales leader and you can't pitch what it is the job and why somebody would want to work for you and this opportunity, then like we need to hold up and have a bit of a brainstorm session in terms of what that actually is. And maybe you're in the wrong organization if you're having troubles doing that. But you should be able to, to at least casually have that conversation to flush that out because otherwise you're just not going to be competitive. You're not, you're not going to do it. There's a reason why referrals are the best source of talent attraction. It's because you can tell them the job in three sentences and you know them, they know you and you can kind of have an like off the record conversation. Like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is the product we have. This is the market. And this is what we need. Right. There seems to be a little bit through that dialogue, maybe there's just an inherent, genuine, there's a uh, genuine honesty, right? Because you're not trying, you're really not trying to sell them, like, hey, here's the landscape. Like, here's what I'm looking for. Here's why I think you'd be interested. Here's why I think you'd be a great fit. But it's a very genuine conversation versus trying to, hey, do you mat, like trying to put a square peg in a round hole and hoping for the best, right? Is that, am I just, am I boiling it down way too far by just saying it, it's just a genuine way of articulating the value proposition to someone? No, it's it's bang on. And it's the same way that you would want them to sell your product or service is to really simplify it. And if they can't simplify it, then you need to work on your pitch. You really need to help them understand the value and why, right? Like if we were to send a client a job description and being like, hey, we'd love to sell you our product or service, but do you meet all these requirements? Right. Like they'd be like, get out of here. Like, no, we're not going to do it. So thinking about the same approach on the other side, knowing that the person you're talking to is also being approached by other firms, simplify it. Here's the job. Here's why I think you'd be great for it. And here's what you can learn. Here's the challenges you're going to face. Here's the problems you're going to get solved. Here's the impact you're going to get to have in the organization. And this is why it's a great thing for you. So really honing in on that elevator pitch is critical. And that's why as we start talking, you start seeing why recruiting is selling. It's the same process on both sides. So if we were trying to frame, because here's a couple of things that I've heard, you know, especially for young startups. Hey, I can't really say, hey, we sell to it like young startups that don't either have clients that they can tout and say, hey, we work with some really cool, innovative brands, you know, to kind of hype it up. Or they work in an industry that's not very sexy. Like I'm just thinking like waste management. 
and that's bad to say, but there's just some industries that are not the most sexy from a value prop standpoint. So what is kind of the framework that you use to say, hey, here's the three elements that you want to figure out how you weave into that ICP or that elevator pitch, wherever that top track, if you will, what would be a good guide, guiding light for them from a tactical standpoint? I think the most important thing is who they're going to be working for. What are they like? That at the core of a hiring campaign, it's the boss, it's the leader. You know, what's the quote? People don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. Right. The inverse of that is true, I believe. People don't join companies, they follow leaders. Your boss is going to have the most impact on what your job is day to day. If you sell to the most innovative, cool companies, but your boss sucks, your job sucks, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what it is. Like, you know, there's not enough money that is going to sustain someone in that role long term if you just have a terrible relationship with your boss. Right. So at the core of the campaign is really understanding who's the leader of the organization and attracting people that inspire or aspire to be in that environment. And I think that's the most genuine way you can recruit. And that's why referrals work because either I know you and I know a friend and I'm like, man, you would, you'd work great with Sam. Let me connect you guys because I know you personally. Right. It's more of a soft skill than a technical competency. And that's why we need to scale that approach because once you tap your personal networks, now what? Now you have to go into this unknown where they don't know you, you don't know them. But how can we put the individual right at the front of the hiring process so that people, when they see them, they think, yeah, I want to work with Sam. Like, I love the way, I love his vision. I love his style. I love the way he communicates. And he seems to have a really good rapport and handle on his team. I want to work for Sam. Not, I want to join this company. And I hope Sam's cool, but like, we'll find out and maybe I'll quit in six months. Right? So Without a doubt. I love that. You're listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Sales Samurai is excited to announce the launch of the largest database of B2B sales resources on the planet. 600 plus resources with more added every single day. Search, sort, and filter leading software providers, podcasts, books, blogs, and so much more. The best part, it's absolutely free to search. Go to salessamurai.io to start your search. So. And so just to kind of recap, from a candidate profile standpoint, just really, really hone in on, hey, what does a first year look like for that person, right? I mean, boiling it down pretty far, like be, that should be a really transparent, honest assessment. You're not trying to overpromise and underdeliver because that's going to lead somebody right out the front door if you're saying, hey, here's what you can anticipate. And it's completely the opposite, right? That's setting yourself up for failure. And then the second thing is, can you clearly, concisely articulate your value proposition as you would an elevator pitch in sales and lead with who's going to be the leader of that team, the sales leader, the VP, and really put that best foot forward to make sure that there's a match there and sell from that standpoint. Those are the kind of two things I've kind of boiled down from the conversation thus far. Is that fair, Mike? Yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, your ideal customer, the messaging on how you're going to get to that ideal customer. That's on the recruiting side, that's it. Competency blueprint, 
what do we want the candidate, the skills they want them to bring? Who are they? Let's create this. Now, what's the message that we're going to communicate to them? Yeah, I love that piece. But you bring up a good point. And I can't remember the last time I've actually applied to a job at. Like most of the jobs <laughs> I've had has come from, I know someone, they're like, hey, I think you'd be good for this. Like, is that the model? Is that the only way of succeeding? Is that the future for most organizations? You've just got to be very active on LinkedIn. You've got to be very engaged. Help us understand that a little bit more, Mike. Definitely. If I'm a sales individual looking for a job right now, you want to avoid applying to the generic job postings you see, right? I mean, that's like applying to bids that come in and hope that your pricing wins. Like you don't know anything about the organization. You don't know anything about their buying process. We know the likelihood of closing on that is very low. Right. But when we apply to a job, we tend to feel overconfident. It's like, oh, I got this in the bag. Like, this is my job. They wrote this for me. It's like, right. you know nothing about that except for what you're right, reading, which is completely generic. So right. we see that. I would say recruiting, if I'm a salesperson looking for a job, it's similar to the sales approach. You want to follow the leaders on LinkedIn. You get to see what they post. You get to see what they're talking about. You get to see all these things. and then. If you feel like there's a good match, reach out to them. If HR posts that they're hiring a sales individual, it's not hard to find who the sales leader is in that organization. Start following them on LinkedIn to get a sense of what they're all about. And if you feel that there's a good fit, reach out. But on the candidate side, it still makes sense. You got to be clear on what qualities you're looking for in a leader. It's not a job and it's not money. It's who do I want to work for that's going to help me grow? And what right. characteristics are they going to have that's going to help me? And that's what you really need to evaluate with the next opportunity. Because we all know once there's a limit for money, but anything above that, it's not worth it if it's a bad environment and a toxic environment. And you don't want to be somebody that spends a lot of their time hopping around and noon jobs getting ramped up. That's just not, you know, it's not a fun way of, of navigating your career. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's funny because when we were talking about this offline, we kind of had a chuckle around it. And you brought up a great point. It was just, I was like, what's the red flag? And one of your red flags was if on the job description that you're reading that kind of gave you a, a red flag or an aha moment, you don't see that there's, they don't list the hiring manager on that job description, either run the opposite way, or if you're really intrigued by it, go do some due diligence on LinkedIn to actually find who's the most likely that would be hiring that position. And I thought that was just a simple, but really straightforward assessment of, what jobs to stay away from and what jobs to potentially pursue. Agreed. And it also sets you apart as a candidate because it shows you the sales leader, the type of sales individual you are. If you can sell yourself, think about how you can sell the product or service. If you can't sell yourself, it's going to be very difficult to sell something else. So it's very indicative. And I coach a lot of my clients that are sales leaders to really take stock on how candidates are selling themselves because that's their best sales foot forward. It doesn't get easier than selling yourself if you're genuine to who you are. So if you have a good pitch and you have a good approach to how to get to the right individuals, that tells you a lot about what that sales individual is going to be like. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I, you know, people used to always say, hey, people can be great at interviewing. They're they're just a professional interviewer, right? And the resume can only take you so far and and it's only going to paint the most vivid picture, most optimistic picture. But I, I always back into how did they approach the interview process? Like, did they reach out to me before the interview and connect on LinkedIn? 
Did they ping me on LinkedIn saying, hey, thanks for connecting. And by the way, look forward to our interview on Thursday. Like, And did after, did they ping me on LinkedIn? Thanks for the interview. And maybe follow up with an email. Like, The things that you naturally do in a sales process, that is what tells me more about a candidate than anything I can hear in an interview process. Typically, it gives me the guide rails that they understand the basics and sometimes more advanced ways of selling from a methodology standpoint. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that if you're hiring a sales individual and how they approach you is how they're going to approach your clients. Yeah. So if they do the things that you said, if they're engaging with you on LinkedIn, they're, they're commenting insightfully on things, they throw you a connection that's personalized, they follow up, they do all of those things, that's how they're going to approach your clients. And if that's the selling style you have, that's more indicative than the interview. You can teach someone the content and how to run a sales presentation or an interview. That's why some people are really good at interviewing because they practice and it's rehearsed. They have their stories locked and loaded. They have their experiences ready. What they don't have is how they get to you. That's dynamic and that changes. So that is more than my, that's more telling of what the sales individual is going to be than the actual interview themselves. And there's a flip side of that, right, Mike? What I mean by that is if you do find the hiring manager, but then you notice that they're not very active on LinkedIn, they're not posting a whole lot, like that should also be an indicator to you. Is that somebody I can identify with or they're not maybe, and this might be a leap, but hey, they're not as innovative. They're not as progressive. They're not as social selling or personal brand awareness that I am from a thought leadership standpoint. Maybe so those things don't jive. Right. That's a fair assessment as well. It's what you don't see just as much as what you do see. Completely. Yeah. And especially if you're somebody that values wanting to build a personal brand and wanting to do that yourself. If your sales leader has zero personal brand, then you know right away that's not the right environment for you. Like that's not going to help you advance yourself as a professional to learn from someone that doesn't even have their photo on LinkedIn, isn't engaging. Like that's if that's important to you. If it's not, then that's a different story. But if you're going through the process of navigating on LinkedIn, then I think it's safe to assume that you do value those things. So you'd want a leader that is engaging and creating content, commenting on it, creating a personal brand for themselves, because then they can coach you and teach you on these aspects as well. Without a doubt. And so you kind of had, we kind of touched upon this a bit because it is very easy to get lulled into, hey, I'm doing my part. I just applied to 684 jobs on Career Builder Monster and LinkedIn. Something's going to come my way. And you brought up, hey, it's not about the number of that barring, hey, if they don't have a hiring manager, run away or go find the hiring manager and start to engage. If you do go down that slippery slope of just throwing it up on the wall and hoping for the best, we've said it, that's a recipe for disaster, correct? Especially yeah. in today's market. I would agree. I mean, and we have you to thank for the career builder, somebody else for LinkedIn, but they've made applying for jobs super easy. So you literally probably could apply to 600 jobs in a day. But like I have these conversations with candidates that are looking and they talk about how they're frustrated with they're not making any traction. So I walk through and say, walk me through your approach. They're like, well, I apply to this many jobs. And I was like, well, how many connections have you made and how many conversations have you had with potential sales leaders? And that's where it falls down. And similar to the sales process, if you're coaching a sales individual that's not having success and they say, well, I've emailed 100 clients. I'm just waiting for them to get back to me. That's not effective either. So it's the same approach. You know, Whether you're finding a sales job, whether you're hiring sales talent, 
it's a sales process. And you need to start thinking like that if you find yourself as a candidate or if you find yourself as a sales leader, that you need to apply the sales approach you have to both situations. Yeah, it's amazing as we were having that conversation around, it's very easy to get skewed on what being productive and successful is. Like hey, sending out a thousand different applications, because you know this probably better than anyone. Like so most recruiters, I'm not saying the best recruiters, those go into this black hole. Like they just, it just, no one ever sees it. I, I mean, I saw that a million times in my days in a previous life that what happened to the 27,000 applications we sent you through your job ads? Uh, we got to about 1% of it. And it's probably not even the best because there were some rules or algorithm that weeded out certain people. Like that's where, why it is just an act of futility. And, and that's not a bad thing against job boards by any stretch of the imagination. It's just the nature of the beast, correct? Yeah, I think automation and AI technology does a great job of parsing resumes, but you're not hiring a resume, especially yeah. in sales. You're hiring somebody that's being tasked with creating a relationship and having conversations with customers, whether it lands in a deal today or in the future, that's what you're hiring for. So why are you making the decision on who that individual is based on keywords on a resume? Like, I agree with you. I think, I think there's a, I always like the saying is there's a, there's a huge difference between busy and productive, right? Like busy is applying to 600 jobs. Productive is having three virtual conversations with sales leaders, right? Like that's being productive because you're getting information and you're, you're moving things forward. You're having conversations, you're creating connections that maybe they'll pay off today, or maybe they'll pay off in a month, six months from now. But like you're investing in your career versus just throwing resumes at the wall, like and and hoping one of them just sticks. And even right. still, the first person you're going to talk to if it does stick is someone in HR who's also recruiting for a hundred other different roles across the organization. They don't know a good salesperson from a bad one. And I'm not discounting HR because sure. it's a terrible job to have <laughs> to recruit across the entire organization. Right. Like it's just they're overwhelmed. Like you can't yeah. do it. There's too much volume, right? Like so, it's tough to actually dig into one role when your plate is just full with thousands of them. So when you do get through that process and you're talking to someone, all they're going to be talking about is the job description and for you to walk through your resume to make sure it's a match before you get to that next conversation. Without so a doubt. You're not setting yourself up for success by going through that process. That's just my opinion. No, I, I would 100% agree with you. I think it does come down to they have to be a jack of all, and a ma- it's hard to be a master of any when, when you just have to do so much, right? I'm hiring for IT, Java descriptions. Oh, by the way, I'm hiring for an enterprise sales rep. Oh, by the way, I'm hiring for a chief financial officer. It's just a lot to get your arms around and yeah. dig that far into to actually articulate and be able to have that type of... Con- but it's so important. I would... In IT, it's a whole different ball. Developers, that's a whole different ball of weight. I still believe sales is the most challenging roles to hire for because they're so client-facing. There's so many nuances to it. What makes a sales rep good versus not? How do you get to the bottom? Like, There's so many nuances, Mike, that it's not as straightforward as maybe, do you have Java background? Do you have yeah. Ruby on Rails? Like, what? I don't even know what the heck. You can't give a salesperson a technical assessment and evaluate how good they're going to be at their job like you Bingo. can in tech, right? Like You can see how somebody codes and that's right. where it's like, okay, now I get a sense for how you are as a professional. In sales, you have an interview, you have conversation, which doesn't necessarily give you 
a lot of information to go off, especially if somebody is a really strong interviewer. So what I always advise is you need to be clear on what it is you're looking for and realistic with that. Instead of thinking somebody's going to come in and they're going to bring all these accounts and they're going to bring all their customer lists over, it's not realistic. I mean, everybody's tried that approach and it doesn't work. What, the old so, Rolodex approach? Yeah, exactly. I'm paying for a Rolodex. <laughs> like, oh, if the Rolodex is that good, why are they leaving, right? Like, it's, right. I always say that as well. Oh, he's bringing it over? Why doesn't he keep it there and keep making money? Like, it doesn't sure. make any sense. So right. I think it's about understanding as a leader how you want to build your team and how you're going to complement and add strengths into it that maybe you're different than what they are now but you have confidence in your ability to bring those skills out of people. So rather than just trying to hone in on how good are they as a salesperson, figure out the soft skills and the type of individual they are. And if that works, you can make good salespeople, right? But you can't make a good salesperson, a good culture fit. That's right. Without a doubt. I think that's a great fit for the sem- There's a couple elements to that, that I have found I like to be involved in that interview early, sooner than later. Like it, and that's, I think our recruiter and our team does a fantastic job, but there are certain nuances that, and they do a fantastic job getting me involved early on because there are so many things that you may see that they may not pick up on. And it's not really fair or indicative in most cases that that's like a flaw or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. how many movements that they're trying to make across so many different positions within the organization. I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things yeah. because here, here's a fundamental area I think most candidates don't think enough about. And you brought it up earlier. Outside of what's the type of qualities I want to look for in a leader, that's what you brought up. You said that's important without a doubt. But like, what is the spaces I actually want to work in? I don't want to just work anywhere. Like drill down to, hey, I want to work in SaaS. You know what? I don't want to just work in any SaaS. I don't want to talk anything about finance or security. I want to talk, I want to be in the retail sector and the sales sector. Those are the two sub industries I want to be in. Now, let me go find my top 10, 15 accounts that I've really been following the gongs of the world, the choruses, whoever, sales loft. And now let me start seeing what's available in those organizations and start to connect with reps in those organizations that I can get those mutual connections to make an intro into a hiring manager, right? That's, once again, the sales 101, getting deep, getting wide into target accounts. I was just going to say, Sam, that sounds very similar to a sales process. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree? Right. But you're entirely right. I mean, if you're just looking for a job, it's overwhelming. And I keep going back to a TED Talk I heard, I think it was a decade ago, the, the paradox of choice, right? Like, And now is a perfect example of this is we have more options than we've ever had before as a candidate looking for jobs. There's 1.5 million sales jobs. So whenever you're overwhelmed with choice, two things could happen. One is paralysis. You do nothing, you're overwhelmed. There's way too much out there. You don't actually do anything, right? And those are the people that are saying like, I can't find a job. Most part, I'm generalizing. I can't find a job, I'm not having success. It's because you haven't got specific enough and you're just casted too wide and you're overwhelmed. The second is it becomes very difficult to be fully satisfied with the decision you make. And I'll tell you why. It's because there's more options you are very selective and you think you can make the perfect choice. So you narrow it down. You have your five offers in hand. You're really going through your process. Logically, you say, this is the perfect decision. You've made it. You start the job. One, three, six months in, something happens that's not perfect. Not bad, but not perfect. 
immediately you regret not taking one of the other jobs because you feel like you did not make the perfect decision. Thing is, there is no perfect decision. There's no perfect job. It's to your point, it's where does your passion, where do you want to work? Who's the leader you want to work for? And that's how you make the basis for your decision. Don't look for the perfect job. It doesn't exist. Look for something that you're passionate about now. There's a leader that inspires you and it provides a lot of opportunity to grow. And then go out and search for opportunities, but be realistic with it. Just because there's more options doesn't mean you're going to make the perfect choice. There is no perfect choice. Just make a good choice that's true to you and who you are and what you want to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, so any like final tips, for whether it's on the candidate side, the, the organization, the leader side, all those elements, little tips or nuggets that you would say, hey, just FYI, if you're doing X, Y, and Z, here's why I would recommend. Anything that you would offer to the audience, Mike? I would say if you're a sales leader, please stop with the LinkedIn, here we grow again. I cannot read another one of those. I cannot. And the other thing is if you're hiring, stop. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll take it down, Mike. I'm sorry. (laughs) Stop. Stop talking about rock stars and unicorns. Like what kind of team are you building? Like, stop it. Stop it. Like I would be on the, the hiring side. On the candidate side, I think what we just spoke about take a breath. There's a lot going on right now. Slow down, really put some thought into what you want to do, knowing it's not going to be forever. Where does your passion, where do you want to work? What impact do you want to have? And what are the qualities you look for in a leader? Like really kind of slow down and take that time. And I promise you, based on that, there are going to be opportunities available for you. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Listen, I haven't actually done that because I'm not that savvy on LinkedIn to say, hey, but I have seen them. It, there's a lot out there. I get where you're coming from. But I love the part about the candidates because I do think, especially when you're looking for that, you know, you're not happy in what you're doing. It can be over. It's a big life decision. I mean, would they, they rank that right up there with marriage, kids, how like job change is one of the most jarring events in your life. Or I don't know if that's the right term, but you know where I'm going with that. You spend more time at work than you do with your family right? Like, I mean, 40 hours, 40, 50 hours a week, it's huge. And it affects your mood outside of it as well. If you have a great day at work and you love your job, you show up differently to your family, to your friends, right? If you don't like your job, it's very difficult to compartmentalize that because you just show up differently to family and friends. So it's extremely important. And it's an emotional decision. People try to logically make that decision, but it's emotional. So like, recognize that, know that, and realize that you can't make a perfect decision by checking all the boxes. There is an element to it has to feel right. And you got to trust your gut. That's awesome, man. So, hey, how do people learn more about what you guys are doing over at Spark? How do they get in touch with you? All that kind of fun stuff, Mike. Yeah. So connect with me on LinkedIn. We're really doing some cool stuff in terms of creating micro marketing campaigns around hiring managers. So think about hype videos, live job descriptions, where we pretty much take job descriptions and throw them out and fully make it digital and, and much more interactive. And it's just a f- more fun way of hiring as people, especially in these markets, we think that hiring stressful and frustrating and all these things, it can be fun. It's matchmaking. You're trying to build a team. You're trying to find suitors out there. Like We want to make it fun and there is a more fun way of doing it. That's amazing. We're going to put a lot of this in the show notes uh, just to make sure you guys can get to my because. I will say this, when we were having our conversation offline, the approach you guys are taking is is unique. When we're talking about the hype videos and those type of things, that is truly innovative from a marketing and a sales perspective that I haven't seen 
done. So uh, kudos to you. And I wish you guys a tremendous amount of success. And thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Sam. I, I had a great time. Thank you for listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit salessamurai.io and join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content.